Welcome to Muffliato, a Harry Potter podcast where we fill your ears to prevent you from hearing nearby conversations. I'm Josh. And I'm Blake, and today Josh and I enjoy a nice soak as we continue our journey through Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire and come now to the 25th chapter, The Egg and the Eye. Now, Josh, how much do you want this this bath, uh, this, or I should really say this like epic bathroom, this whole thing in your house? Because it sounds pretty magical. Yeah, yeah. I really have to question there. Does Moaning Myrtle come with? Because if so, not really interested. Do you, do you want a pervy onlooker uh, yeah. to, you know, your bathing and the most intimate moments? Probably not. So I guess, yeah, maybe if she yeah. was an addition to the bathroom, hard pass. But um, if uh, if we could do away with her, you know, maybe she... Yeah, I, I'm also... Maybe. I don't know, Blake. I, I mean, I get the fact that Poor Harry's probably comparing it to uh, washing up in an outside bucket at the Dursleys and then, <laughs> you know, a Hogwarts bathroom maybe trashed by lots of students. But I don't know if I love the idea of like, he talks about doing like laps in the bathtub. I don't know if that really attracts itself to me. It's like, you, you don't really want to share a bathtub with a lot of other people. So it's not like you'd want to invite people in for a hot tub like experience. So yeah, it, I don't know. It's a I don't know. My, my house definitely wouldn't have room for it. I feel like both our houses, it would be the whole room of the bathroom That's right. would be yeah. the size yeah. of, of both our houses. And uh, by the sounds of swimming lens, it seems like both our houses combined. Um, but yeah, like, I know. know. It seems <laughs> huge. It seems so ginormous. big. But magically, it fills up with water quickly. Like it's, you know, yeah, like that, unnaturally nice. fast. That's so nice. that's that's nice because we've you, all been Your there, poor tank waiting. would be sucked dry in no time, Blake. Oh, where is this water coming from? Like, is it some kind of like you know it, it gets sucked from the great lake and it like purifies it as it fills the tub because obviously there's a, a good amount of water but where is this water coming from because when it drains away you kind of think like well that seems like a bit like a waste or magically does the water clean itself which kind of seems semi-gross uh, even though it's you know magical cleaning but then it recycles the water for future use but i mean yeah like, I would love to experience this. I don't know if I would love it maybe as a bathroom because it's kind of mm. like that awkward mix between a bath, a hot mm. tub, and a swimming a pool. pool. So, yeah. you know, you're thinking, well, other this is not just a single-use bath. Um, this is not just a single-use spa. So, you know, you're, you, you should be really like, I'm like, Whenever you say bath, you think, are you, you know, you're nude. Whenever you say pool, you think you're in swimming, you know, that's swimming right. togs or something like that's, that. That's, that's fair. That's a good summary. Yeah. And so I'm just like, what is Harry in right now? Like, he seems like he's like like nude because he's like, what, you know, the bubbles are going away. And I'm like, yeah. but I, I think he must, hopefully, hopefully he's got swimming trunks on, you know, because otherwise that would just be, I don't know. What do you think? Is he in? Is he in? I, no, I, oh, I completely agree. Well, why else is he uh, concerned about Moaning Myrtle seeing him? Um, yeah. the, I think this is the I think this is top five most awkward scenes in all of the books, <laughs> and certainly the most awkward one we've come to now. And I'm just hedging my bets when I say top five. It could be number one. I'd say I'd say this is top three awkward for sure. You know, we have some we have some other awkward moments, maybe, and we'll and we'll address those once we get to them. But like this one, that's a bonus this... episode. No one knew they wanted. 
Yes, exactly. The the most awkward and cringiest moments of Harry Potter. But, you know, you think like Moaning Myrtle being there is just such a weird thing. Like it's just, it's, it is creepy, but she apparently, she apparently didn't look when ha- Harry was getting undressed. And you think this just seems a bit dodgy. Like, I, I don't know if, I don't know if you want to be doing this in front of her. Can't you just kind of tell her to leave? Um, although she'd probably yeah, start uh, she, she seems pretty, uh, pr- pretty hurt and offended by uh, by the fact that Harry has dared not to return to the girls' bathroom after uh, second year. So <laughs> how dare? Oh he? man, how dare how he dare not he? return there? You know, and it's like I thought that was your new hangout, and it's like yeah, not with you, Moaning Myrtle. Sorry about that, but yeah. Anyway, so epic bath. Um, and obviously would love to experience it because you got to think like if this is a joint bath and I'm, I'm assuming, you know, male prefix bathroom, we would, you know, have like the prefix just all chilling there. Maybe maybe they have like a weekly, you know, bath chilling together with the soaps and just relaxing kind of spa styles. Mm. That would mm. be pretty nice. Like it does. And, and it was mentioned there that Harry wanted to, you know, almost like it's almost worth being a prefect just to have you know, access to that bath. And so it sounds pretty magical and pretty wonderful. And I love all the different, you know, colored foams and different things like that. Like, this seems like it would be great. But when you talk with foam, you think, well, then why am I swimming lengths in a pool that has foam in it? So it does kind of, there's this weird balance of like, what are you using the pool for? Are you using it to go swimming? You probably don't want foam. Are you using it for a spa? You probably want foam. So Moaning Myrtle doesn't pervert you, but yeah. Well, and and how how are prefects encouraged to use this bathroom? Like daily, weekly? Like I can just imagine, you know, you think you're getting the, the prefect bathroom because it's going to be so great, fewer people to have to share it with. And then all of a sudden you hear that Cedric Diggory is spending a couple hours in the in the bathroom while you're trying to, you know, take a, a bath or a shower. Like I, I'm a little bit confused how this works. Yeah. Yeah. Are there time slots that you book this out? Uh, yeah. Is there a little, you know, schedule? Um, is schedule? this the boys mm. prefect bathroom or well, that's, that's because it didn't mention that. Hey, eh? that's, that's no. one, one thought that I had. Like, I'm like, is it in the way that it's both uh, female and male and, you know, they just come in their, you know, this swimming clothes. I, I'm like, is it, for, is it truly one at a time? That's what I'm wondering. Right. Yeah. It doesn't, it seems like that would be a bad use of epic space. I don't yes, know. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It just seems like that would be such a waste. And, uh, but I mean, I would, you know, hearing about this bathroom, I think I would try maybe a little bit harder to try be prefect just to, to get access to it. Well, or, that's what Harry concludes. Yeah. Yeah. Or just or go with a mate that is a prefect. So Josh, you would be on the more prefect track, I think, at Hogwarts. <laughs> I probably would not. You know, I may be over here playing gobstones or maybe wizard chess. Um, oh you know, man, just... I love how you didn't even give yourself Quidditch. Oh man, <laughs> I thought that would be quite prideful to be like, yeah, right. oh, I'd be, I'd be Quidditch captain. You'd be a prefect. <laughs> like, I, I feel like that might be a bit too prideful. So I thought I'd give you the, the you know, and humble myself to lowly gobstones um, oh, and man. a libra- librarian or something like that, a librarian. librarian's assistant. Uh... Um, but I would then, you know, because it seems like he's just handed out this password. It seems like maybe there wouldn't really be much problem in, in going with you, you know, and uh, yeah, just have a nice soak. I feel like that might be a privilege of the prefix, like friends of prefix could be like, Hey Cedric, could we, could we all go like, you know, to the bath tonight or something like that? seems like a weird thing to say, um, but like, <laughs> like a hot tub, you know? Um, yeah. And so interesting, but uh, yeah. 
Anyway, I think we need to probably look at, you know, we don't, we're not just taking baths here, all right, in this chapter. We're not just no. enjoying a nice soak. There Although a lot of time does spend in the bathroom. Yeah. So, you know, I, I want to just defend our, our, our proportions here. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We're not just going on a, a real side tangent. Like this is, this is a, a very big part, probably half, you know, 50% maybe of the, the chapter, right? Where Harry's working out his clue, even though we haven't even talked about that. We mainly just talked about going for a good soak. So let's get into it. <laughs> After waiting as long as possible, Harry decides to take Cedric's advice and heads to the prefect bathroom under his visibility cloak, egg and marauder's map in hand. Upon entrance, Harry decides that being a prefect would be worthwhile for the sole reason of getting to use this bathroom. At first, nothing seems to have changed about the egg's wailing. Only now, in the bathroom, Moaning Myrtle appears. In addition to lamenting Harry's disappearance from her life, she ends up leading him along to put the egg underwater and hearing the song of the merpeople suddenly clear beneath the surface of the pool. Harry determines that his biggest challenge will be figuring out how to breathe for an hour. But before realizing, he sends Myrtle into a fit because he complained about not being able to breathe. Harry checks the map and sees that the hallways are clear, yet... There's an odd appearance on the map of Bartimius Crouch in Professor Snape's office. Harry's pondering of this oddity leads him to investigate further, but he loses his step and drops the egg in the map, and the egg begins to wail. The commotion brings Filch, Moody, and Snape to the scene. Filch uses this interaction as a hopeful chance to banish Peeves forever. Snape is concerned with the recent break-in in his office, and Moody shows up without a clear reason other than perhaps constant vigilance. Because of his magical eye, Moody is the only one who is able to see Harry and understands enough to dismiss Filch and Snape without either of them taking the egg or the map. Once the others are gone, Moody asks Harry some questions about the map, particularly about the recent break-in. Harry informs him that he saw Mr. Crouch in the office. He then asks to borrow the map from Harry, who is too relieved by the near escape and glad that there are no more questions to refuse the offer. Oh, so that's also part of this chapter. We're not just taking baths. I get mm. it, Josh. Okay, so we can't just talk about different styles of baths and uh, different colored bubbles this whole episode. We do actually need to cover some other things. Well, I mean, your opening question wouldn't have really fit the second half of the chapter. How much <laughs> would you love to have a staircase that traps your feet in it? No yes, one's really going to sign up for that, right? I would love to experience the uh, the thrill of nearly being expelled because I'm wandering the cl you know outside and uh, I'm trapped and nobody's going to find me because I'm you know in my invisibility cloak. Moody saves the day, so yeah, that probably wouldn't have really worked as the uh, the opening question there. So no, that makes sense. But we find uh, obviously, and we we uh, see that Harry does eventually learn what his egg says, uh, the song that it's singing, and the instructions uh, that it's giving. He does eventually with with the help of Myrtle, mind you. Do you feel like Myrtle gives a bit too much help to Harry? Like it seems. Seems a well, little bit. Well, yes like, and no. Um, Along the way, she seems to um, be saying that she gave more help to Cedric, and he struggled harder to figure it out. So I'm, I'm not quite sure. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good point, actually. Like, you know, I feel like regardless of if she helps Harry a little bit, like, or nudges him in the right direction, I think he would have got there in the end, um, mm. whether by mistakenly, you know hitting his egg and it falls in the water and it's like, oh no, oh, something, you know, something nice is coming out of it. But uh, I would say that uh, Harry, Harry leaves here and he's probably pretty, pretty stoked that he, 
understands what's required of him, but he is obviously then thinking through that clue and uh, still needing to do some stuff. Like it's not like listening to this is he's all ready for the next task. So we kind of, yeah, he kind of goes, goes back in, in that sort of stage there. But with this, with this, Josh, I, I kind of thought there was a lot of tension in this chapter and I was trying to think like, you know, key theme, what would, what would you say uh, looking at this would be the key theme? Cause I have a feeling, you know, probably not tension, but what do you think? Well, I, I, I like where you're going with tension. I think there's a tension in this chapter. See how I'm tying these together. Uh, <laughs> a tension between appearance and reality. And, and so we see that in a lot of different ways. Um, some of the different uh, ways that we see that are between the appearance and, and reality of, of the egg, right? We go from it wailing to um, beautiful singing. We, we see um, appearance and reality when it comes to uh, Barty Crouch. Uh, we don't know about Senior Junior yet, but Barty Crouch Junior and Mad-Eye Moody and appearance and and reality concerning Snape and you know what is Moody talking about with his past and his second chances. And so appearance and reality, big theme in this chapter. Yeah. Okay. So I love that you catered to me there and just said the tension between appearance reality. And yes, for those for those listeners, Josh is like all things key theme. He's our key theme man. <laughs> um and I cannot, you know, for the life of me, maybe on a more obvious chapter I might get something that remotely resembles what Josh comes up with, but you know, I put tension and discomfort. I mean, I'm just thinking so surface level here and uh, thinking, well, Harry, he, you know, oh, there's a lot of tension here and different different uh, events. And yes, I might be right to a small degree, but Josh, just man, you come in here with the, your big, you know, deep key themes showing me up. But uh, I mean, oh, this man. is- what do, you, what do you even say to that, Blake? That's very kind. <laughs> But anyway, so oh, yes, okay, like who would who would think to put something that beautiful as we can see in the the, in the movies? Who would think to like open it up and put it underwater? You know, like it just seems mm, like that's yeah. so abstract. Like how did how I want to know how the others worked it out? Like how did well Crumb one one thing out? I wondered, Blake, was <clears throat> is is the wailing sound at all similar to what mer people might sound like? outside of the water um yes like, okay like when they're singing like that would be my only question would be um if somebody who had studied a bit more maybe magical history or specifically i assume it's not magical creatures but something where where mer people would have come up that um you know or maybe muggle studies i don't know um and, and they would have heard that noise and been like oh mer people let's put it underwater i, I that's yes. the only thing i think of yeah I, and and you never know. Maybe because Crum is out on his ship, maybe there was a you know a mer person or whatever uh, that came up to the surface and like screeched. Oh, I was I was thought you said maybe he just dropped it in by accident and it oh. started working. Yeah, he was he was just looking at it, gazing at it, and he dropped it, and he's like, oh no, I've got to dive off my ship and and you know get the egg before it sinks to the bottom. And then as he did. He heard the song and he's like, wow, this was a lovely arrangement of events. Uh, I now understand what this is saying. So, yeah, I I think that um, that's probably it. Like where that would be, you know, above ground, they just can't speak. Just the, the language mm. gets all screechy and sharp and painful, much like the, um, you know, maybe not as loud as the egg, uh, you know. And I feel like that portrayal of the egg in the movie is quite, quite good because uh, it really makes it an uncomfortable sound. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I, 
uh, some might say discomforting in a tense sound, uh, you know, just to bring my key theme back in there, Josh. But um, I just find like, you know, Fleur, we don't we don't really see, you know, because we're, you know, we're in Harry's perspective, but it would be really interesting to see crumbs and uh fleur uh they're yeah, working yeah. out of these clues and how they mm. come to know about them and like you know is there a lot of like are there straight up help from their headmasters right like are they just straight well, it's certainly up- implied right yeah. yeah yeah i mean it's it's implied that they like you know want to do anything that will help their student be the one to 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 mm. be crowned the triwizard champion. So, I would imagine, I would imagine that like they're on the ship and Crumbs kind of up on deck, and uh, Karkarov just comes over, opens the egg, and throws it in the water, and be like, "Oops, sorry, quick, go grab it." Um, you know, <laughs> like just something, something pretty basic like that. But anyway, uh, I think uh, that's that's uh, yeah. They they get it sorted, obviously. They all do, and they all understand what's required of them, or at least they're still trying to work that out. Um, and uh, they've got, still got to source a few things. So Harry needs to work out eventually how to breathe underwater, um, which is not an easy thing. No, no, not an easy thing. Um, and and it, I, I love seeing. This is one of the one of the tasks I think that has some really diverse ways of approaching it, and mm. so we'll see some pretty neat magic on display in the next chapter, I believe, Blake. Right? Yeah, I think the so. Yes, yeah, the second yeah. task, and yeah. um, you know, but we we know that we can't get submarines, you know, because that's no, technology or aqualungs. Or aqualungs, yes, exactly. Um, I love that there was no mention of like scuba, a scuba suit, which I believe those are what aqualungs are, aren't they? Yeah, I just feel like maybe that's what then other is aqualungs that might be the name that they're more referred to in uh, the UK, but I just feel like I, yeah, I don't know, scuba diving. I just feel like that would a scuba suit or something like that is you know, scuba tanks, but regardless of that, like you know, you think, well, is there any mug away that would like not have technology and it would be all more like analog technology or something like that, that that wouldn't be interfered with the magic Mm. and you could still use, but it does seem like it must be. I assume a a snorkel would work, but it wouldn't be, wouldn't be deep (laughs) enough, obviously. I love it. Yeah, at that point, Josh, if you're using a snorkel, at that point, you may as well just hold your breath, like, and have a pair of glasses. <laughs> well, I guess um, you could get out to like the middle of the lake, then dive yes, down. That's right. true, and look at where the best place yeah. to dive down. Hopefully, the, the water's not too murky. But um, yeah. Anyway, um, looking at uh, maybe character development, we've obviously already talked about old pervy, pervy moaning myrtle here. Yeah, not a good uh, look. Not a good look for her, although, you know, there's there's lots of things where she she's kind of a character that's just a bit like, uh, kind of rubs you the wrong way where, you know, she's mm. a bit like um, uh, sort of, I don't know, just kind of, what would be the right word? Sort of disruptive, you know, with, you know, being um, you know, crying and very sensitive. You know, we saw that a lot when they were in the bathroom and talking and it's like, you know, she's not that sensitive to uh, to the, the people, the living people. Um, but here she's quite pervy and, uh, you know, she does give Harry the tip to put it in the water. And so I feel like, you know, that, that was a big tip that, yes, maybe Harry would have worked out on his own. But, you know, and even if she still gave, 
you know, Cedric Diggory more clues and and more hints. I just imagine that uh, you know, literally the put it in the water tip is probably the the best tip for this this egg, you know, and <laughs> uh, and then that that allows him to kind of work out the rest because shortly after putting it in water and opening it, you're going to hear a different sound in the screeching. So you're probably going to put your head under the water to like maybe listen to what it's saying. So just a bit interesting there. But the the interesting one that we come to is. Mr. Crouch, uh, who I say Mr. Crouch because that's who like Harry thinks it is. Really, it's Barty Crouch Jr. And it's Mad-Eye Moody actually in Snape's office. So this is a real great moment, I feel like, for, you know, uh, these sort of second readers, uh, second, third Mm. readers, where you actually think, oh, you know that's why, and uh, and you know he's snooping around this office, and it's actually Barty Crouch Jr. And you know it's uh, you know Mad Eye Moody, and he comes stomping out. And man, this this map, the Marauders map, could re- have really un undone uh, all of this work by Mad Eye Moody slash Barty Crouch Jr. Mm, mm. Yeah, no, it's it's um, it's it's amazing that. I, I, a couple things that that kind of were takeaways from the initial interaction, and maybe this goes a bit into world building into the Marauders map. But I found it amazing, first of all, that there was no junior sign like on the Marauders map. Yes, right. I think yeah. that's just a bit interesting. You know, like I, I, I'm sure there would have probably been more questions in Harry's mind if if Junior had been there. But but second. I think it's just amazing how how quickly Moody realizes what's going on. And obviously it's Barty Crouch Jr., but I think he just plays it very cool for his whole oh, gig about to be up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And he can I have a look at the map, Potter? You know, at the very yeah. end, and he's sort of scanning along and he's like, Yeah, you know, cause because I saw Mr. Crouch in Snape's office. And then he like scans along and all of a sudden, you know, his, his eyes eyes kind of go wide and he shoots open. But you know, the uh, it, it's kind of sudden realization that he probably sees himself and Harry standing on the map, but his name is showing up as, uh, you know, Barty Crouch rather than, you know, Mad-Eye Moody. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty pretty uh, good thinking on your feet for one Mad-Eye Moody or faux Mad-Eye Moody. Faux Mad-Eye Moody, yeah. And then obviously that, that real tense moment um, between Snape and Mad-Eye when, you know, Snape is kind of putting these pieces of the puzzle together and Mad-Eye, you know, Barty Crouch Jr. here, is also kind of scanning around with his eye, seeing maybe Harry in this awkward predicament. He's the one that fully understands what this situation is. But, you know, there's always been that sort of tension between Snape and uh, and Mad-Eye, because Snape uh, thinks Mad-Eye is, is kind of the, the aura uh, Mad Eye Moody, and uh, and one of these things, maybe I'll mention it here rather than sort of world building. But you know, it was just a throwaway thing that Mad Eye mentioned about Aura's privilege that they get to search that he got to kind of search Snape's office, Aura's mm. privilege. And I just think it, I'd be interested to know the powers of an Aura, not necessarily like the magical powers. I'm meaning like more the the rights that are given to them yeah. um, for it doesn't seem like people. It doesn't seem like wizards are big on rights. I, like the citizens. 
Not too sure about that. Yeah, I, I don't think they are. I mean, like, it seems like this, like, aura's privilege it means an aura can go into anybody's home, anybody's office, yeah. anybody's place of work and search things. Like, there's no no warrant needed, right? Like, yeah. the police or whatever need to have, like, a warrant, like, justifiable cause to suspect something before doing it, like, in, in that justice system. Whereas auras almost seem to have this, like, dictatorial kind of power, you know, in a way to, like, do what they want when they want how they want and um and so it's real interesting that you know we we see that here that aura's privilege i i could imagine that would extend to if say kingsley shacklebolt like if he wanted to go in and check out mcgonagall's office it seems like he could you know like just like randomly mm. like search her office so that would be really interesting it would make it really awkward for a uh, an aura who is is bad like who's an evil yeah, kind of wizard yeah, posing right. as an aura like there would be a lot of like sort of awkward imp- implications there but yeah so i just mentioned that with that sort of snape and mad eye kind of uh, moment that tense moment that they have because i just feel like it's such an interesting thing that that is a little bit of information that might develop into something more we don't really get you know more of what the position of an aura is to a full extent um but this aura is privileged thing i just kind of i was interested by that because it just seemed like a bit much yeah yeah i agree i agree uh, definitely a bit much um and speaking of a bit much can we just talk about the fact that um mad eye moody's eye is like more powerful than a deathly hallow yeah to see through invisibility cloaks even even the invisibility cloak that is like unlike any other unlike any other yeah that it, i don't know about that i don't know how i feel yeah, about that i don't love that that seems like a, a sort of a retcon i think you know where it's yeah. like a step back and a sort of yeah. like a oh we might have to justify this later um i understand why that you know invisibility cloak needs to be like no other like it is a, a you know a different magical object entirely mm. to just a regular invisibility cloak but it is interesting that that the eye can see through that that general. yeah like we're we're told over and over again that this is a unique truly unique like one of a kind of visibility cloak and yet i don't get that impression that like moody's eye seems rare but not unique unique yeah um, so interesting it seems there. definitely like it could be duplicated yeah i don't yeah. know yeah, interesting. Yeah. It's not like everybody's walking around with a magical eye, right? So it's not like Harry has no. maybe too much to fear, but you've got to think like, I don't know, if if one of the- I think Voldemort know, should have, should have uh, plucked out one of his eyes. Surely yeah. he'd be willing to do that. Yeah. Why not? Add a magical eye there that can go 360 degrees. Surely that would be something that would be of value to him, but definitely would be uh, awkward if Harry was trying to sneak up on him in an invisibility cloak. And let's say he didn't know that, you know, the uh, the magic eye could see through the invisibility cloak. And he's like sneaking up and he's like, man, I'm going to get the jump on Voldemort. And Voldemort's just like, you know, I, I see you, Harry. Yeah, I see, I see you like right there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, oh, my forward. bad, my bad, my bad. And what about that comment as well from you know that Moody makes uh, slash Barty Crush Junior makes to Snape about how some spots don't go Ooh, away. That's deep. So I I really liked that because that was kind of that that reference to the dark mark, and then I think you know Snape's hand kind of goes up instinctively sort of instinctively to that that spot and kind of you know maybe rubs his arm a bit there because he, he's you know thinking about that dark mark um some spots that don't go away just loved that deeper meaning there as well yeah no it's and it's one of those things that as we as we think about um 
the, the the kind of journey we're on regarding Snape. It's it's yet another kind of revelation that even if you you know read the other three books really well, you think you finally come to trust Snape. A book like this is enough to make you question everything you thought you knew. Definitely. Definitely. I'm looking at world building. We've kind of talked a lot about the bathroom, almost some might say too much. You know, we've been talking about baths and bathing at the start of this episode for uh, for a while. But just a reminder, obviously, that's kind of the first we really hear of the special prefix bathrooms. So a bit know, of a, a anybody, parental guidance warning, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, maybe kind of like, hey, watch out. There is a pervy ghost who likes to hang around the bathroom. Just be, be like, careful. I think if I think if you say pervy one more time, we're going to get the uh, the big red E next to the podcast. <laughs> What what word can I use instead? Printing? I don't know. I guess it'll be, I'm just uncomfortable by it because of it. Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, so I really have laid on to that word pervy. Eh? It's like how, yeah, how much how, how many pervies can I say in a sentence that's you know, she's being so pervy mm. anyway. But uh, we look at and we obviously hear about mer people. Uh, we're going to look at those a little bit more in maybe that second task. We'll actually have some interactions with mer people. So well, and just to kind of wrap up the discussion on the Marauders map, you know, J.K. Rowling has has said that she really needed to to get the map out of the way for this book. Yes, um, yes. For this book to work, the Marauders map needed to be out of Harry's hands. And so, you know, if you're wanting to be cynical and kind of use it as a literary device this is this is a huge huge plot device to get yeah. the map out of harry's hands that he yeah. dropped and it the moody happened to be there all those things i like it you know like she she had like a both sort of positive and negative feelings about bringing the map into existence because mm. it was a difficult thing for her in later books to i guess like to work out well this is like a superpower right here yeah. and um it's going to sort of you know be quite um uh, quite the challenge but i think she does a great job here because it it, it yeah. creates such an awesome tense moment and um a moment that when you read back through those uh those past the first reading you know you actually see like oh man this could have been really bad for mad eye moody slash you know barty crouch jr yeah well and i think like she gets around it in some ways later by introducing the uh, room of requirement right that some things aren't on the yes. map um yep. which is again a bit of a juke in a different direction but uh um i i think it, it ultimately works it ultimately works there might have been some uh some uh reasons why her hand was forced in this direction but it ultimately works I think I think it does, and like I mean, aside from you know, that's a that's a big kind of a, a plot thing. Um, any other hmm. literary devices, Josh, other than foreshadowing? I think that that's you, that's all I thought of. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of the big one. Um, yeah. and so you know, when we look at foreshadowing, obviously Moody, the Marauders map, and uh, but the one thing that I really liked it was uh, it was really kind of a play on both characters because there's a few of those moments that it, it makes sense for say mad eye moody to do as well as buddy crouch jr to do and his motives but the one thing that he says is uh mad eye moody like he hates uh what what, what yeah that was he good. hates is a death eater mm. who got free looking at snape on the map i'm assuming you know that like uh, mm. a, a death eater who got free or Maybe Karkaroff was walking around the castle at that point, but it's essentially this sort of notion of like, well, of course, an aura, someone who fights for good, you know, seeing a Death Eater who got off on like a technicality or bartered his way out with other names and stuff like mm. that would probably irk. Uh, you know, an aura who who spent time in like trying to find that person and bring them in um and arrest them or whatever yeah and it's, so, it's just perfect how so, good. so many lines fit either barty crouch jr or mad eye moody 
it I don't like I don't understand how she did it. It was just wonderful. Yeah. Like it's just worked out so great. Um, and it you know it shows J.K. Rowling just like how how great she is with those types of little things. But yeah, I just think man. That's so awesome. Um, And so really cool there. Um, But looking at the significance of this chapter, you know, Harry now knows what he has to do for the second task. Um, He obviously has not sourced his way of breathing underwater and how that's going to work. And we'll see what happens with that in the next chapter. But also Harry now no longer has access to the Marauders map, right? That is Mm. now with with uh with mad eye moody so those are i think really two big things all right thanks for listening to today's episode to keep the magic alive leave a rating and review on apple Podcasts, or support us at www.buymeacoffee.com for slash pod to get in touch use our instagram email or website mufflyautopodcast.com to continue the adventure join us next time as we discuss the 26th chapter of harry potter and the goblet of fire the second task